Good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. Okay. So good to be in the house of the Lord today. Uh, Such a sweet presence in the church this morning, or in the building, I should say. So good to be here. Before I get started, uh, let me just introduce myself. My name is Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, If you're visiting with us for the first time, we welcome you. Those of you who are tuned in online, we also welcome you to LifeSpring Foursquare Church. And uh, as Pastor Mary mentioned earlier, this past weekend, LifeSpring joined up with another local Foursquare Church, and we had a men's retreat. And so we have a few empty seats, and the men are still there this morning. They finish up this afternoon. But we had 56 men at the men's retreat. Like, yes, that deserves a round of applause. And so some of your husbands are there, some of your uh, sons might be there, and they've been having a great time. I, we sang some of the songs we sang this past weekend at the retreat, and if you have ever heard men, just men, sing in a building, men, it will move you. Like They were like, I, I probably have to bring it down a few octaves here, and they were just like, all the earth, and the, and the room just shook. You know, all base. But it was, it's really great. And uh, we saw two salvations last night as well. And uh, just an amazing time of uh, praising the Lord together. I mean, we've been walking through this thing called a pandemic. And so for a long time, uh, things like that weren't happening. But it was really good to be together with them over the last few days. And so, before I get started this morning, I want to invite Jacinta, um, just someone who has been a great influence in my life and who continues to encourage me in serving the Lord and just a tender heart. And she'll be praying uh, over the message this morning before we get started. Jacinta? And we thank you, Lord, that you are a great God to us. Mm-hmm. Father, open up our hearts. Open up our ears to hear and to receive your word this morning. Allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts as we speak your, hear your word this morning. I pray that you guide and bless Pastor Jesse with the power of your Holy Spirit as he speaks the word. We thank you, Lord, for what you already have done in our hearts. We ask that you would bless all our pastoral staff and their families, our elders and brothers and sisters especially our young children. Mm -hmm. 
We thank you for what you're going to do today. We give you honor and praise. And we take victory in your name. Amen. And amen. 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 So we've been going through the book of Acts over the last few weeks. And this morning we're in Acts chapter 16. And the gospel has just reached Europe. And as mentioned over the last few weeks, it started in Jerusalem, then spread to Judea, then to Samaria, and now it's reaching the uttermost parts of the earth. And in Acts 16, Luke has integrated together three separate but related incidents. The first is the conversion of Lydia, which we looked at. Paul had seen a vision of a man in Macedonia asking them to come and help, so they immediately head for Macedonia. But when they get there, they end up with several women at the river. That doesn't stop Paul. Paul preaches the gospel and Lydia comes to faith in Christ. The second story in this chapter is the encounter with a demon-possessed slave girl. The third incident is the conversion of the Philippian jailer and his household. So last week, we looked at the conversion of Lydia, and this morning, we're going to look at the deliverance of the slave girl and the jailer. Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. If you didn't bring your Bibles with you, you can pull out your smartphone. If you don't have one of those, it'll be up on the screen for you. All right? It reads like this. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave woman who had a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing great profit to her masters by fortune-telling. So as the missionary trip continues... They come across this slave girl. And Luke says the girl had a spirit of divination, but the phrase in the Greek is very different. The phrase is literally a python spirit. And so Luke uses the word python because of Greek mythology at the time. The belief at the time was that the girl was occupied by the Greek god Apollo and spoke prophetically by his power. The girl's masters then... We're getting rich at her expense through her fortune-telling. But it's demoniac. The power came from Satan by an evil spirit. This girl was possessed by a demon. Verses 17 to 18. She followed Paul and us and cried out repeatedly, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation. Now she continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed, and he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now I can't tell you why Paul allowed her to follow them for so many days. I mean, I think for any one of us, if someone was hollering behind us for a few days, I mean, even a few minutes, that would probably annoy us, right? But Paul, she was screaming for a few days, the text says. And I think in one sense, the news that she was proclaiming, because Paul and Silas and Timothy, they were all new to this area along with Luke. They're all new to this area. In a sense, it was spreading the message of what they were doing in the midst there. But it also came to this point where it was probably a distraction. And so Paul turns to her and says, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out. And so... As we just read, the demon within her knew of Paul. 
and announce through her who he was and what he was doing. And scripture says she did this for many days. The text says Paul became annoyed. And really the word there is worn out. He became worn out. So Paul turned around and said, not to the girl, but to the spirit inside her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And the results are immediate. And it came out at that very moment. This demon obeys the words of Paul. And I want to stick a pin right there. Because sometimes when we talk about demons, it can be like, you get the heebie-jeebies, and what kind of thing are we talking about here in church this morning? And the question I want to explore is this. Does demoniac events still occur today? And the short answer is yes. And truly, this is a big issue today. And it's something we need to have a grasp on. There are some who might think that demon possession or evil spirits is something that happened only during the time of Christ and the apostles for the purpose of manifesting the power of Christ over the demon world. They believe that there's been a cessation of gifts, so to speak. But that isn't the case. Demon possession, it exists today. It did not end with the New Testament. See, I grew up in a culture where if you're having an issue with someone or they did you wrong, someone might jokingly say, I didn't curse you, I promise. But it's the equivalent of, that's Creole. It's equivalent of, I'll put a spell on you or I'll put a hex on you. And the indicators of demon possession today would pretty much be the same as in the New Testament time. These would include superhuman knowledge. Uh, for us, this might be something like fortune telling, a different voice speaking through the person, or the inability to control oneself. And if demon possession is suspected, it should not be treated lightly. Amen. So this event in the book of Acts is a powerful reminder of two facts. First, the demon realm is real. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Church, the spirit realm is real. And I have a few personal stories to share with you here this morning. So the first time I became aware of this was like a 10, 11-year-old kid. My parents are pastors, and so we were there for Sunday service. And during worship, this woman who was attending the service, like she would be muttering little things. And closer to the end of the service, she was foaming at the mouth, and I was like, I I'm a kid, so I'm freaked out. I'm like, what is happening here? So they asked all the kids. Church ended early. They asked all of us to wait outside, and it was in a wooden building, so like there was like a little hole by the window and a little crack. And so as a 10, 11-year-old kid, I go to peep, and I just see. I was like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? And our leaders and elders back then were probably there for about, 40 minutes with her. And my parents later explained it to me. I mean, they scolded me because I looked and I told them I saw so and so. But they explained it to me. And that was the first instance 
of experiencing the spirit realm in that way. But then, as I continued to get older, about 12, 13 years old, I was in Chicago, and I was introduced to the Evil Dead series. And you might be familiar with that. It's a horror film. It's a series that has been around for a long time. And I grew to love horror movies at the age of 12, 13. I turned 13 that summer there. And from there on, I'd seek out the scariest horror film because I, it, it was this adrenaline rush. But I wanted to watch something scarier and scarier to see like if it would scare me. And I would sit there as a kid and I would be like, oh, I'm not scared. And so that kept being a part of my life. And then in high school, I got into horoscopes. And I was like, I mean, you're already a teenage kid with all kinds of emotions, and you read a horoscope, and it's like, well, today is not a good day. Or you read the next day, and it might tell you, well, there's a love that's on the horizon, and then you're looking because you're not sure which, who might be liking you at school. Or you're going to be in a fight, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out. And it started to run my life in so many ways. I mean, I was still active in the church, but I was partaking in these things that wasn't a part of God's abundant life for me. And so I go to college, and I'm about to graduate, uh, 18 years old, and the movie comes out, The Ring. And maybe you've heard about it. And I said, I'm going to go watch it because I want to see what it's all about. There had been a lot of noise about it at college. And so I go to the theater. There's only one theater where I was born and raised back in Belize, one theater in the whole country. I know that might seem hard to comprehend. In a country of almost 400,000 people, there's one theater. So I go to the theater, and I'm sitting in the theater watching this movie with some of my cousins and friends from college. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit convicts me and says, you need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop reading horoscopes. You need to stop pursuing horror films. And I got up out of the movie, and I walked away. And I told the Lord, I'm sorry. For me, it was this excitement, this thrill-seeking of how scared I can be scared. But it wasn't the Lord's best for my life. And we have to be careful of the things that we're opening up ourselves to in this day and age. That might seem very radical, but I am telling you, it's an open door for the enemy to have a foothold in your life, to wreak havoc on your life. And so I know for me, the Lord convicted me in those ways, and I turned away from it, and I had to change those things. And so I stopped watching horror films. I stopped reading horoscopes. Because somehow for me, it did not speak to me of the Lord's best that He had for me in my life. And I'll tell you, some of the video games today, 
some of the things we watch on TV. We've got to be careful of those things. Please, if you're a parent in the room, please be aware of the things that your kids may be watching or the games that they may be playing. And I'm not trying to condemn you this morning. I have walked this path. This is a path of my story. And I had to step away from those things in my life. And I encourage you, if you want to see the Holy Spirit work in your life, if you want to have the abundant stuff that the Lord has for you in your life, you'll put them aside. You'll put them aside. While I was working as a pastor in Belize, our church ministered in a particular community. And it's an ethnic group of people who are often overlooked. But in the country where I grew up, witch doctors or black magic and obia, it's just a natural part of the society. It really is. And these people relied on charms and not being able to go to the hospital, but going to the witch doctor for healing or some sort of a portion. And so we had been ministering in this village for some time, and we started a life group there, and it had been, they were hungry for the Lord, very hungry for the Lord. And I remember one night we're there for a meeting, I'm visiting with the group, and uh, I realized that one of our faithful members, they aren't there. A younger woman, probably, she was about 17 at that time. And just asked where she was, and they said, oh, she's been sick, and she hasn't been feeling well. And in a village like that, news spreads very fast. And they said, but we heard that the parents took her to the local doctor and they gave her something because she's had a fever and stuff like that. And so myself, my then senior pastor, along with our group leader, went about half a mile at night just to pray for her. And what she had received, they had paid the witch doctor for a charm to break this fever that she was walking through. We pray for her to fever break, but we also felt that there was demoniac stuff happening there. Prayed for her in that aspect. Her whole family was saved that night. They're still attending church back in Belize. I share those stories with you to let you know that this is a real thing that's happening in and around us today. At one point in time, I worked in uh, broadcast journalism. I worked in that field for about seven years, and I used to travel to different countries reporting. And I was on a trip in 2011, I believe it was, in Taiwan. And I was there for a few weeks. I was doing some training in journalism, and uh, it was a group of probably about 30 reporters from different parts of the world. And so we were guests of the country, and so they would take us around, see their different things and traditions that they believe in. And please, I'm not trying to pinpoint one culture or the other, because this exists everywhere, even here. And we went out one afternoon, well, probably most of the day, we were going to different temples, just seeing and hearing the history of how it came about. And we're just going around thinking nothing of it, All of us were going around, and later that night, I am sleeping, and I feel this darkness come into the room. And I wake up, and I I literally can't speak. And all I can say is, Jesus, Jesus, 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And it leaves the room. A scary experience for me. But it also made me aware that something as innocent as visiting these sites, when you walk in as a child of God with His presence, they realize what power and authority you're walking with. And if you're not putting on the whole armor of God and walking in His presence in those moments, it can't affect you. So, we don't normally encounter them, evil spirits, but they are around. And they operate through the physical realm, including in the bodies of other people. These people aren't necessarily aware of the demon's presence, and they are not able to push the demon away, as they are unwitting hosts. There are so many examples of that in the New Testament. But also be aware that when we encounter people who seem to access supernatural power, remember also that they may be accessing a power other than God. This is why it's important to be walking and living by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any life outside of it, it's going to be hard. We can't do this in our own strength. I should also note that we must be very careful that we do not use the devil as a scapegoat for our own unwillingness to learn and apply biblical principles to our lives. You might have heard someone say before, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And when I hear things like that, I kind of perk up because at times we need to accept responsibility for our actions and receive freedom from our strongholds and the things in our lives. Things such as pornography or an inability to prosper. In instances like these, we might need to seek counseling or go through a financial program, but also ask the Lord to destroy the enemy's grip and therefore after make better choices in our lives. James 4, 7 says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now since demon possession is a possibility today, it is also possible for people to be controlled by God's Holy Spirit. Amen? Jesus came into the world to set people free from the power of evil and place them under the control of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the second powerful reminder from this story is this, the God we serve can direct them, referring to demons and the evil spirit. They do not have equal power over or with Him. And in this case, the departure of the demon rendered the girl useless to her masters. And they turned on Paul and Silas. Let's read verse 19. It says, But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was suddenly gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. Notice next, the next verse. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. Paul and Silas were Jews, but also Roman citizens. You might have heard about dual nationality. You know, you can be from two countries. 
Yes. So that's kind of what's happening here. However, they didn't reveal this at that time. Probably because there was a mob, and we'll get to that here in a bit. Timothy was only half Jewish, and Luke was a Gentile. Their accusation, the masters of this girl, was against Jews. So only Paul and Silas were taken, as anti-Jewish sentiment was not tolerated in Philippi. So by casting out the python demon, Paul had hurt the girl's owners financially. This made them angry, and they turned the crowds against the missionaries. Let's keep reading verses 22 to 24. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So how did this slave girl's owners get away with such fabricated charges? Well, as mentioned earlier, Paul and Silas were Jews and the people of Philippi were Gentiles. But the charges which were not true were assumed to be true of virtually any Jew. The charges were believable and thus... There was no need for a trial as Jews were generally believed to be troublemakers who advocated practices which were illegal. So they, the mob, therefore, had them stripped and beaten with rods. They were struck with many blows. And in Jewish law, the limit was 40 minus 1, so 39. Under Roman law, the limit was set by the judge. But in this case, there was no judge, just mob violence. And after their beating, they were placed in prison. Verse 23, And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. As I learned during my prep time, many prisons in those days were private enterprises. And the jailers who owned the prisons were often ex-soldiers. And they were paid by the authorities to look after prisoners for the state. Additionally, though, they were held fully and personally responsible for the secure holding of any such prisoners. And we'll see why that is important as we continue here. Verse 24, And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. The inner prison was probably a strongly built underground room, and it would have no window, no light, no fresh air, no AC, no bathroom. No heating. And in this inner prison, they placed them in stocks, wooden boards. And back then, what they would do, they would have holes along the wood. And so they would kind of stretch them out like that at the leg. So they've been beaten, they're bruised, they've stretched them out like that. And then they chained them to the wall. They weren't suffering because they did something wrong. They had delivered a young slave girl from a demon. They were living obedient, holy lives. And they were suffering. This is undeserved suffering, you might say. They were suffering for righteousness' sake. And if I were in Silas's position, I might have said to Paul, are you sure that vision you had back in Troas about a man in Macedonia was really from God? You know how often when we're going through things like that, it was like, God, did you really tell me to do so and so? Like, 
Somehow we think that we won't have any opposition or suffering or trials in the midst of these things. Does God really want us here, Paul? I thought God loved us. Is this love? I'm in an awful lot of pain here. I mean, like, have you been there before? I know I have. Or is it just me? Have you been there before? But how did they respond? No doubts, no questions, no complaints. They trusted God. See, they knew that God was sovereign even in their suffering. I'm sure they knew the story of Joseph and how God works all things together for the good of those who love Him. Now let me just say, suffering is a part of the program for us. It just is. Suffering is an absolutely inescapable part of the curriculum of a Christian. I'll just put it up front there for you. We will never grow up, we will never be what God wants us to be without some form of suffering. Not only is suffering normal for the Christian's life, it's normal in any life. Christian or not, we'll walk through some form of suffering. But the suffering we walk through refines us. So why does God allow Christians to suffer? Well, one, we live in a broken world, but also God is glorified when we trust Him. God's glory shines through our sufferings and weaknesses. When Paul later writes to the Philippians, he says in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christians is that the Christian is supposed to have joy in the midst of suffering. Paul told the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. And Paul not only preached it, he lived it. Because notice their response to the beating and imprisonment, verse 25. But at about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. I mean, we can understand them praying. And most would pray if they were in as desperate a situation as Paul and Silas, but it would possibly be a prayer of desperation. We would be praying, God, why did you let this happen to me? God, why don't you do something? Or God, judge these pagans for their sin. Wipe them out. That would probably be our prayer. I mean, how could they be singing at a time like this? It says, and the prisoners were listening to them. What a testimony that is. The people who heard them singing knew what had just happened to these men. And here they are singing about God. These folks are listening to every word they say. Church, joy in the midst of suffering and sorrow will always get the attention of those around you. Not that we're intentionally trying to draw attention in that way, but imagine that prison probably had witnessed cursing. It had witnessed groaning and cries. It had witnessed groveling and pleading. But it quite possibly had never witnessed anything like this. You bet the other prisoners were listening. The attitude of Paul and Silas is what Christianity should look like in every age. What happens when a terrible situation becomes the reality of our lives? Hmm? How do we respond? All you're trying to do is live your life, do your best, do what's right. 
You're not doing anything wrong. And then unexpectedly, without warning, you're faced with a terrible situation of which you have no control. How do you respond when you're facing a difficult situation? Do you have a song in your heart and praise on your lips? Because I'm telling you, those around you will surely notice. And if it were me, I'd probably be singing, but I'd probably be singing Nobody Knows the Trouble I See. That's probably what I'd be singing. But I can hardly see myself singing, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. What did they sing? Well, obviously, we don't know, but probably they were singing something from the Psalms. So in this dark, miserable prison, all of them are listening to Paul and Silas sing praises to God. Verse 26, And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now, there's nothing unusual about an earthquake in itself, but this was no normal earthquake. Instead of being buried under tons of stone and rubble, I don't know, maybe you've seen, you've experienced an earthquake or you've seen the devastation, but things fall over. And people die in earthquakes. But that wasn't the case here. These prisoners were released from their shackles. This was God at work. God was at work shaking this jail apart. And I like what Dr. Steve Shell and Pastor says in his verse-by-verse in the book of Acts. This is what he says. This miraculous event teaches us an important lesson. It wasn't the earthquake that changed the spiritual atmosphere of the place. The earthquake didn't occur until after the power of God arrived. And the power of God arrived as a result of spiritual warfare. Sometimes you got to do spiritual warfare to have a breakthrough in that thing that you're walking through. Verse 27, And when the jailer had been aroused out of sleep and had seen the prison's doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. So he wakes up, he's asleep. Went down into the prison and taking one look at the conditions caused by the earthquake, fearing the worst, decided there was only one thing to do. It appeared to him that he must have lost all his prisoners. And again, a jailer who lost his prisoners was subject to the penalty that they were due to receive. So he drew his sword and prepared to plunge it into himself. Verse 28, But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Now picture this. Paul is in the inner prison. He hasn't seen the guy. The guy hasn't seen him. He draw his sword to fall on it, but Paul calls out to him. And can you imagine the jailer standing outside in that moment? thinking it was empty, seeing absolutely no one, and hearing a loud voice call out, telling him not to harm himself. This would surely have made an impression on the jailer. I know it surely would have made an impression on me. And it sure did, because the jailer called for lights, 
rushed in and fell at the feet of Paul and Silas. Verse 29. And he called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. The jailer, one way or another, recognized that these men had authority. Look at the jailer's question in verse 30. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I don't want us to miss the application here. Because in that moment, Paul must have received revelation from God to call out to him. But then also, if you are ever treated unfairly, you are probably being given a major opportunity to witness for him. Not all the time, but sometimes. Let's see how Paul and Silas responds. Verse 31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. Church, the answer is the same today as it was in that Philippian prison 2,000 years ago. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Now, I want us to consider the phrase, you and your household, because it can be taken out of context. And so for context's sake, let's look at that. It has sometimes been thought that that additional phrase, and your household, in verse 31, indicated that when an individual, a man in this case, in that culture and in that time, when a man believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, usually in those days, his household followed. They would follow the example, the head of the home. So what they meant by that was that an individual who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ may be saved and his house may also be saved if they too believe in the Lord. So this text is no comfort for an individual who thinks that by his or her faith, that his or her children are guaranteed salvation or spouse for that matter. We all have to submit individually and surrender and accept individually. Verse 32 to 34. And they spoke the word of God to him together, with all who were together and with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds, and immediately he baptized. He was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them out into his house and set food before them, and was overjoyed since he had become a believer in God together with his whole household. What a turnaround of events. Hmm? What a turnaround of events. The jailer was a changed man. The same jailer who had been punishing them was now ministering to Paul and Silas, caring for their wounds, and he set food before them. Paul must have sat there eating, thinking of Psalm 23, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Like, has that ever happened to you? Like, that has happened to me in this life. And I was like, oh man, is this a trick? Like, what's happening here? When I worked in media, I mean, I was just trying to get my job done. And sometimes reporters, they're like, always pushing the camera, always pushing the mic. And there was some yards that weren't being cut. And so I went into the yard and there was, it looked like it was this 
drug home at the time and the guys, they got really upset with me because I was the one standing reporting in front of the camera and the guy would, I mean, I lived in a small community. I had to pass him on the way to work. And he just started following me. I was like, I probably shouldn't have done that. Just wanting to get the story. And so, about after three months of choosing a new route to get to work, three months of avoiding him, I said, you know what, I'll just invite him to church. And I did just that. I invited him to church. And he came to church. He passed away some years ago, but he became a good friend of mine. I mean, he told me that he wasn't pleased that I did that because he lost his home where he was. But I was able to find out his true name, that he had kids, that he had a family. The church helped with getting a new home for him. But sometimes, God puts you in situations like that, whereby the person who is against you, in being obedient to what the Lord is calling you or asking you to do in that moment, might turn around and sit at the table with you. Verses 35 to 37. Now when they came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now, are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. So the next morning, the leaders determined to let Paul and Silas free. When the jailer tells Paul he's free, Paul drops a surprise that he is a Roman citizen. And he asks that after the beating and imprisonment, that they just expect him to leave quietly. I mean, Paul was quite bold. A crime had been committed against him. And it was forbidden under Roman law to ever corporally inflict a wound on a Roman citizen. But why did Paul do this? Hmm? Why did Paul do this? Paul is not concerned for himself, but is concerned that all who would later come to Christ in the Roman city would be allowed to live and worship in peace. Well, this is what I found out in reading. That's what it said. Remember, there was Lydia and this jailer who had just come to Christ. And for sure, they would be spreading the gospel. The rest of the verses says, And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Verse 39, And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. So at this time, I'd like to invite the worship team back out, and I'll end on this. Church, we must live as though God is real in our lives. The world needs to be encountered by believers, men and women like you, sitting in here this morning, who will live like that. If we do, the world will sit up and take notice. The world is watching Christians. 
And when they see Christians shaken by circumstances just as they are, they conclude that there is very little to Christianity. But when they find Christians rising above circumstances and glorifying God, even in the deepest of trials, then even the unsaved realizes that the Christian has something in Christ to which they are strangers. So I know you're walking through difficult things. I know that. I remember early on when we weren't sure how this pandemic was going to unfold. We were walking through like the roads were changing the next day and the next day and we got to keep up with this. I remember we are sitting in a meeting and Pastor Mary says, don't waste your pandemic. And it's been interesting over the last couple of years to see how Christians have respond to many of the things within our culture and society. To me, a lot of it has been self. So in the midst of our trials and the things we're walking through, may we remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers of darkness, against principalities and powers, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. But we also got to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We won't always get it right. If you're walking by the Holy Spirit, we'll correct you. I've been there so many times. I've had to call back people. I'm so sorry. My wife, you can ask her. Just this week, in fact. Consistently walking in a spirit of surrender. But also, in everything you're walking through, put on the full armor of God. The spiritual realm is not something that we can do in our own strength. Don't play with it. I've walked into settings here in our state, and I'm like, oh man. Right away, you sense that there's something deeper happening there. And so before we move forward, I believe we have some prayer partners here this morning, and I'd like to invite them up front. But if you could stand with me as we close in prayer. The topic of the demoniac, it can be heavy at times. something we ought to be aware of. And so I want to pray with you and for you. But if you need additional prayer along these lines or just something else outside of this, I encourage you to come up front and have someone agree in prayer with you this morning. So let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, God. Lord, I pray that as we continue to go through trials, as we continue to go through difficulty, as we continue to face challenging things within our family, within our individual lives, God. I pray that the emotions that we feel in those moments, God, 
you're not afraid of those emotions, Father, because you've created us with them, Lord. Our emotions aren't too big for you. So may we be able to be transparent with you about the things we're going through, but may we also remember by whose spirit we're living by. Strengthen us today, God. In the areas of our lives, maybe where we've opened up ourselves to different things that we shouldn't be delving into, God. I pray even today, Lord, that would we do course correction, God. May we make amends in our lives and in our heart to walk more closely with you, God. And so that as we go out into the world and as we interact with those around us, that even though we're going through the thick of it, God, may we be reminded that we have brothers and sisters who can stand beside us, stand around us, but that in those moments, in those individual places of our homes, of our families, of our marriages, of our workplaces, of our school, that we can be a shining light and example of your Holy Spirit working through us, God. And yes, it's unknown, but we can hope in you. Just as we read today, God, in our Bible reading, Lord, that in the midst of the storm, God, you're still there with us. And the waves may come, God, the winds may blow, but you're there with us, God. That you are a safe place that we can find shelter in the shadow of your wings. So I thank you for your word this morning, God. May we continue to sing of your breath in our lungs, God. May we continue, may we be reminded to come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. In your most holy name I pray. Amen and amen.